You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, it is the weekend. Happy Friday the 13th to you all. Uh, spooky, spooky uh, favorite Friday the 13th. We don't usually have shows on Friday the 13th. Kind of nice uh, celebration. And uh, of all the dates I was given to uh, offer to my esteemed guest tonight, Mr. Jeff Pilson, he picked Friday the 13th. So we are here to entertain you for this Friday the 13th and hopefully warm up your weekend. Jeff, how are you? I'm great. Ooh. I know. Well, I'll try after the show tonight. I usually, I usually hang with the boy after the show, so we'll throw on something, some Freddy Krueger or some uh, Jason or something of the of the nature, just to get in the mood. Freddy Krueger. There you good go. Stuff. I know. I just kind of toyed with this question with you off the air, but uh, I know maybe you don't necessarily watch too much. But as a kid growing up, were there any movies that kind of scared you? Uh, kind of silly. Oh my God! Um, when I was uh, in. I was eight years old and I went to summer camp for the first time and they played the movie, the fly, which was the mm. original version from 1958. Um, and it scared me for the longest time. It was the scariest movie I'd ever seen this in particular, the scene when she pulls off his mask and you see the, you know, now you look at it and of course it looks silly, but, um, to an eight year old in 19, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> it was pretty scary. I think the, yeah. the first one that I ever saw as a young as a young child, probably before I was a teenager, I'm going to say probably ten to maybe twelve. Um, I lived out in the country on a farm, and we didn't really have neighbors. Like it was like two hundred yards away would be your closest neighbor at the very best. And my parents went away, and then the first time being home, and I watched um, uh, the Blair or uh, no, uh, The Exorcist. And and it was uh, it oh. really messed me up because when you're on the farm, you hear all these noises outside, and you're watching this, and uh, I mean that I was so scared, I could not wait for my parents to get home. Uh huh. Well, I I saw The Exorcist as well, but I saw it at a drive-in with my girlfriend, and needless to say, I didn't see much of the movie. I can imagine. So, I can imagine. That was that was when I was a junior in high school. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it probably wasn't too much of the uh, the screen that was being watched. Correct. Nor nor the concession stands. No, maybe afterwards. Afterwards, <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, that's right for sure. Listen, we're going to jump over to the chat here in a minute and say hi to a bunch of people. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for jumping in this Friday evening. We hope we warm up uh, your uh, weekend for you. Uh, I'll just say hi to a few people right off the get-go. We've got Scary Groove, Patrick DeCola from scarygroove.com. Runs a fantastic uh, George Lynch website. Uh, Pump for tonight says, good luck, Eric. EVH Leopard's here. Big Foreigner fan, awesome band, Mississippi Treasure Hunter. Quentin James is here. Um, and Mark Th uh, Thorne, 66, a big doc and a foreigner fan. Hello, everyone. So we're going to have a lot of a lot of your fans here tonight. Carlos Santan, a fellow Canadian, says, Happy Friday. It's going to be an ugly weekend in these parts. Freezing rain, snow, and ice. Hope you're warm wherever you guys are. Yeah, I've heard that forecast. It's going to be very bad. Be careful if you're on the roads, if you're in uh, in the path of that. Uh, let me see. Colgen5150. Hey, Eric and Jeff. Uh, Joseph Sherman, hello from Colorado. Uh, Kurt Singer. Hey, Eric. Hello, everyone. Dokken was a huge influence on me growing up in the 80s. This is very, very cool. Uh, Max Raiders here. Concerts is here. JD Gonzalez. Uh, the Tactical Six String. This is great. Play. Um, I play Dokken jams every time I pick up my guitar. Truly classic. Thank you, Jeff, for the 1980s. He's thanking you personally for the entire 1980s. <laughs> wow. So there you go. Jesus. 
Did I elect Reagan and everything? I wow. Guess, I guess you did. You were responsible for the 80s. And I must thank you, too, because I, I kind of live in the 80s, and I'll, I don't think I'll ever escape it. Well, you know, it was a fun era. It sure was. It was. I, 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 I wish I was responsible for more than I am, but uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take the thanks for my small part. Hey, Very small. Honestly, no, you've done a lot. It's it's amazing. Someone was saying today, because obviously we're on a Van Halen-themed show, and uh, you know, right. Michael Anthony, the bass player in Van Halen, is obviously a, a huge, well, the ex-bass player, we'll, we'll say bass player, uh, a huge catalyst in that band. And a lot of people were saying you were the Michael Anthony of Dokken, and, and the way you contribute vocally and, and bass, I mean... It's uh, a huge compliment to me. I think Michael is incredible, and always thought he was underrated as a bass player. His singing is spectacular, and he's a hell of a nice guy. He is. Hell of a nice guy. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely... Uh, he's a gem of a human being and like I say, way more talented than he ever got the credit for. So I agree. That's and, that's, a huge Thank you. And, and that's what's funny as well too. A lot of people say, that, okay, you have Michael Anthony baseline, you know, bop, 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 one finger kind of thing or an open string. You listen to some of the things that he has. Now, sure. Some of those things are just, you know, a staccato kind of riff. Some of those things are absolutely insane. You isolate some of the bass tracks. It's like, okay, there's, there's some stuff going on there. Well, and listen, it's also about feel. Mm-hmm. And it's about the right parts alongside the other parts. It's about the songs. And to me, Michael did all that so incredibly well. I mean, there was a magic in their groove, especially live. I mean, well, they got it on recordings too, of course. But but live, man, they used to, there was just something about the way the three of them played together that was so amazing and magical. And I'm not taking anything away from Wolfgang. Wolfgang no. is a fine but, you know, with any chemistry situation, you change the player and you change the chemistry. And, um, you know, Michael, Michael was so underrated in that. And his contribution to the Van Halen musical chemistry as well as the vocal chemistry is just, like I say, so underrated and so undeniable in my book. So anybody that ever wants to give me that compliment can give it to me all day long. That's awesome, for sure. And, and, and you do a very a great justice. Just with the new track that you released, which we'll get into later on, that's going to be on with the new bonus uh, record that's coming out next week. The, I could not get over the thunder between you and Mick. I mean, rhythm section is uh, is 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 the nucleus no matter what i mean i'm a guitar player i love guitar and i like to watch the lead guitar player just go off on crazy solos and stuff like that but sure. you've got to have a solid solid foundation and i mean if i could have isolated you and mick on that the thunder um absolutely amazing well thank you and you know what mick and i do have something special um you know, we have we have a thing. I mean, just as a rhythm section alone. I mean, we, we also do vocally and personally. I mean, Mick is just a wonderful human being. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just as bass player and drummer, we, you know, we kind of learned a lot together, and I learned a lot from him. And uh, I think we came to appreciate a lot of the same things. And I think uh, we were very focused from the very beginning on shaping our sound into something that really worked. Um, you know, we we became a trio format very soon. I mean, on the very first tour, Dom played guitar, but then it got abandoned after that for quite a while. And so being in a trio format, we had to really focus in on what we were going to do and how we were going to handle it. And and we knew right away that George was a very busy player. His rhythms you know, were a distinctive part of the sound. So we had to be very supportive. And, you know, both of us would try and put in interesting parts when possible. But a lot of times it was just about supporting, especially in the 80s music. I mean, in the 90s, we kind of branched out a bit. And on the new song, we branched out a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, in the 80s, it was really about supporting. And... Uh, 
that's why I say we, I just, I feel like I learned a lot from Mick and I feel like uh, we, we gained a lot from each other just playing together all those years. Um, and we were really focused together. And I think that that chemistry holds up today, which makes me very excited. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. I know as a musician, it's always fun, you know, when you're in the moment, you know, eye contact, you're watching each other, just getting into the zone. But I, I would imagine with the amount of time that you spent with Mick, um, you're probably almost like identical twins in a way where you can actually feel what each other is going to do. You you know where you're going to go. You don't have to make that eye contact if you're in some massive stages. You can just, you know where you, you, each guy is going to go and probably play off of one another very easily now. There's a, there's a lot of mind reading that goes on. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Uh, Mississippi Treasure Hunter says, um, Van Halen, Monsters of Rock, Memphis, I was there. Doc and Kingdom Come Scorpions, uh, VH was awesome. Saw you at the Peabody. And that's a very big thing I want to talk about later on tonight, too, is Monsters of Rock. And that was my first experience uh, seeing you. Yeah, that, that's where I saw you for the very first time. And uh, the first and only time I've seen Doc and Live. And it, it was amazing. It was a kind of a crappy venue. It was uh, Pontiac Silverdome. I don't want to say anything bad about Silverdome. It just wasn't a good acoustic environment. Um, but in Michigan. But yeah, but it was cool. So right. we'll, we'll get into that as well, too. Uh, Warren Hughes, guitarist uh, shredder extraordinaire, is here. And he's saying, hey, Eric and Jeff, Thomas Santiago is here. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Quentin James is friends of James uh, Kotick and Johnny Edwards, Kentucky Boys. Mark Taylor's here. Kurt Singers, San Muka. Mm-hmm. Uh, tactical six string, big props, Blimpus. I made it. Hello, Eric and Jeff. Uh, JD Gonzalez, uh, uh, Jeff. I like so much uh, your live performance. He's from Brazil, so the, my the language translation oh, cool. may be a little uh, weak. Uh, Carlos Santa, Michael Anthony yeah. is one of the nicest people I've ever met, and if you listen to his work, especially live, he is a great bassist. Uh, the Frank JC. Good evening, Eric and, and everyone. Uh, to my favorite bass players in the world, Mr. Jeff Pilson. That's awesome. Love that. Wow. Thank you. Uh, very very kind. Tactical Six Dream says, I hate, I, I do have to say Dawkins tunings are a bitch, uh, not not E, not E flat. And I, I like how you talked about um, George's rhythms as well, too. We're going to get into some questions about George, meeting George and things like that as well, too. But George is, um, I don't study George's uh, music as, as much as I study, obviously, Eddie Van Halen's and this other stuff. But I was definitely in that zone of, of that era. And he is a lot like Eddie, where there's a lot going on rhythm, rhythmically that sometimes um, yeah. some of my friends like Jay Palmer and people like that that really study uh, George's techniques mm-hmm. um, and Patrick from Scary Groove, they would know more about him than me. But um, he's often under, he, people don't look at his rhythms, they look at his leads, but he's a fantastic rhythm player too. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, I mean, as much as I love George's soloing and when George is on, to me, he's the greatest soloist in the world. Mm-hmm. No offense to Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Um, of Eddie too, but but when George is really connected, he is so soulful that his solos are really special. But having said that, my favorite aspect of George's playing is his rhythm playing, and it's because his rhythm playing also is very soulful. It's really distinct. It's always interesting. It's always got a feel to it that when he once he gets in his zone, his feel is just so incredible, and it's so much fun to play to, and it's so inspiring. Um, and and it's real. It's genuine. It's it's who he is. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys that the connection between his hands and his heart is immediate. You know, mm-hmm. there's very little hanging in the way. It's it's all about his soul. And um, his playing is really, I mean, it's, it's emotional and it's moving. And, and there's a reason for that. I mean, he really is, that is really who he is. And um, I love that about his playing. And yes, I would agree with you. His rhythms are tremendously interesting. Always have been. Um, you know, he was the first guy. When I first moved to L.A., um, 
he was the first guy because I, I mean, I knew about Van Halen and everything, but he was the first guy that I actually saw up close and was watching. And, and I was, it just so captivated me how interesting his rhythm playing was. Um, so yeah, underrated is, is not even, um, beginning to cover what it is about George's rhythm playing because he is fabulous. I love that. And the thing is, as well too, is that I think the way you said it was, okay, so sometimes you have the, the, the feeling in your heart and your soul, whatever you got this rift, this, this emotion, this travel spot you want to go down. And then sometimes you think about it too much. Some guitar players, okay, well, I got this idea. Now let's analyze it in my head. Now let's, now let's put it on the guitar. Whereas you're saying George sometimes has the emotion, goes right to the fingers. And whether it be good, bad, anywhere in between, the brain doesn't actually, isn't the middleman. You know, and it goes from thought to fingers. Right. I like that. When it's his real, when it, when he's on, that's what's happening. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I like that, and you know, he is totally original. I I can't play really a lick of his to to. I just can't. I haven't studied him, but you watch what he does, and it's it's very original. Just even if you're not even listening, just if you turn the sound on your yeah. videos down, and you watch. It's like okay, that guy's really got a really unique style. Yeah, and and certainly when you hear, I mean, George is playing, you can identify in the first couple notes, and not many guitar players can you say that about. You certainly can say that about Eddie. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, I mean, George is one of those guys that you can identify his sound in just a couple of notes, and that's a pretty powerful um, quality to have in your playing. I know, and I got to get some props to some of my friends here, like Jay Palmer, as, as he does like Lynch licks on YouTube. There, uh, people like that 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 can duplicate that kind of stuff. Like I like to do Eddie Van Halen stuff, and I can do okay with that. But I, I would fall so flat on my face doing a, a George Lynch, and so people that can do that, pr- props to you, man. It's it's fantastic. We're gonna uh, one of the yeah. things that's really cool here on the show is a couple times I've had a couple guests on here, um, some names that you would know, uh, Jason Becker. Uh, Blue Saracino and the connection reason why I'm bringing them up they have a little bit of a connection with how you kind of got in the scene for, from a fellow that we all know that at least weren't into guitar shredding and things like that Mike Varney right yeah, Mike Varney right, you, you were in a band with him and what, am I correct yeah, in saying that he introduced you to Don Dawkins and that's kind of where it went from there that is absolutely true yeah right I, I mean Varney and I were in a band together for a couple of years we did a rock opera up in San Francisco called Rock Justice, and we had a band called Cinema. Mm-hmm. And um, then as things kind of soured in the Bay Area, um, uh, I decided to move to Los Angeles. And as soon as I did, uh, shortly after that, Don Dockin called Mike and said, hey, do you know any singing bass players? Because Mike was known as the guy that could connect people because he collect- connected a lot. Right. And uh, so that's where the introduction was made. So yeah, I, I owe a lot of my career to Mike Varney and I I don't forget that trust me I mean Mike is Mike will I mean Mike and I don't talk that frequently but when we do it's pretty deep and um, he means a lot to me he really really does he, he has put a lot of people together what you say he's like kind of like the deal maker you know he's like the uh, yeah. you know like in today's society we have like the Simon Cowles and you know the America's Got Talent and all those different people like that the the boy band manufacturers but he was the guy back in the day that okay I, you need a bass player you need a singer okay you need a horn player I got gotcha. you yep. you know that's fantastic that's right yeah Vern Golly <laughs> that's right and man man what a time to be what a time to be a guitar fan or a guitarist back in that day if you're if you're a guitar shredder and had something to show you know, get your your demo cassettes back in the day to mike and uh look what he did yeah. well he was doing he was doing shrapnel records in 1981 you know so i mean he was way ahead of the curve he saw that coming before anybody else and you got to give him a lot of credit for that that's true 
so so getting to the the first chance of you talking to Don, the, the band starting to come together, things like that. Um, you know, guitar players, maybe whatever you saw, whoever you saw on the scene back in the day. You so you you know you know of the Eddie Van Halen's, you know of the Randy Rhodes, you know you know of all these different people, the Jimmy Pages and and uh, and Richie Blackmore's, and you know the list goes on and on. What did you think the first time that you you know got to sit down with George and you know okay where where's this guy going? What's his mindset? What did you think of him as the first time you saw him as a guitar player? Well. The first time I saw him, well, I saw him on some video the day I met Don, and, and Don showed me some video and played me the music. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed when I heard the music. I was obviously impressed by the guitar playing right away. Yeah. But first time we played together and first time we jammed, which was soon after uh, I met them, um, the first time we played, that changed things. I mean, I just, then I really realized how great he was. Mm-hmm. Mick, too. Because, you know, one thing about Mick, on the Break in the Chains record, you know, they, they, they were doing a lot of sampling of drums back then and triggering drums. Yeah. yeah. And, and what, what happened is a lot of times the, with the triggering of the drums, you would miss a lot of the ghost notes the drummers would play and just some of the nuance and some of the dynamics that they had. So drums on a lot of earlier 80s records tended to sound kind of sterile and you know, kind of mono-dimensional. Yeah. And Mix playing on the Breaking the Chains record was very good, but it was kind of had that bad triggered quality about it. So his playing, to me, what didn't stand out when I heard the recordings until I, but then when I played with them live, it's like, whoa, this guy's got everything. He's, and, and it was just so exciting. I mean, the, the trio of Mick and George and I, I felt that from, beat one song one you know i mean that was that was immediate for me i i knew i knew that that was going to be a good home and you know we were in this little tiny room and don was playing guitar but i wasn't really paying i was more paying attention to george and i couldn't hear don sing i knew he could sing from the record i I couldn't really hear him sing it was it was really about just jamming (laughs) um and i knew i knew right away no this 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 is a this is a great bunch of musicians yeah, you you can tell you can usually tell that when you've like uh, yourself you've been doing it for so long. Even today, let's say some buddies call you up to jam and maybe do like a charity gig or something like that. You can tell right away from the moment you get on stage, not even rehearsing together, if it's going to be magic or you're just going to be a kind of a work in progress. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I'm sure you're very thankful when you have uh, you know equal talented musicians that can just go crazy and sometimes maybe even kick your butt. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you play with some people that are just like absolutely amazing. It's like whoa, this is great. And now I'm being challenged again. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's we live for that. You know, exactly. we live for the the uh, the challenge. We live for the learning from other people. I mean, my God, I've gotten to learn from some amazing people. I mm. mean, you know, Mike Schenker, George Lynch, uh, Ronnie James D. I mean, the list goes on. The and, you know, just guitar players alone. Randy Hanson. I mean, all these amazing guitar players that I've gotten to play with. Mick Jones. Um, it's pretty stellar. The people that I've gotten to to learn from. So. Uh, yeah, anytime you get a chance to play with somebody great, it's 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 a great experience. That's something I always try to share on the show as well too. Surround yourself by greatness, uh, by people that are yeah. that, can, that can play circles around you, and they will make you work yeah. really hard. Sometimes, if you if you continue to go down and play with like you know garage bands and things like that, you eventually, sadly, you will get pulled down that that rabbit hole, and it can you yeah. may never get out of it. Well, you know, definitely joining Dokken, um, I had to up my game playing wise i mean i could play and everything but mm-hmm. but it really made me focus in on on groove especially that i mean i was already into groove but 
but then I, I, you know, it definitely my my take on it and my understanding of it and my focus on it went up a huge notch joining the band. And you know, George, I mean, playing with George. George, I had to up my game. You know, I mean, not that I was going to do the tapping and everything. You know. Um, you know, like you know, like a lot of the guys did. But um, but it made me up my game. You know, we, you know, he comes up with licks sometimes that you know they can be a challenge to play yeah. on the bass underneath him. Um, you know, it's it was it was definitely a situation where I had to up my game, and that was that's great. I mean, it makes you makes you fall in love with your instrument again, which is very very important. You got to stay in love with your instrument. That's, I know that's something I. Critically learned. The minute you get complacent about it, it's over. I agree. Here's a question I didn't have for you, but it's something that, okay, like the 80s was obviously very, very special to you. I mean, it, it launched a great career for you. And a lot of us tend to keep going back to that. Now, sometimes we look back, and I'm sure you even look back at your, you know, some of the videos and you get the hair and the spandex and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we look, we all do. We look back and we kind of laugh like, ooh, that was scary. But it's a really important part of our lives. Scary? And it, yeah. Well, <laughs> scary. If you mean like an 80 year old woman looks scary walking down the street. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I are, you and I are close to the same age. And, and we, I, I, I I really live in that oh, zone. You're What's that? <laughs> you're 35 as well. That's okay. right. That's right. No, but I, I, I tend to live in that, that era and I really like it just for the soul. I mean, I like some of the grunge that came out a little after. Um, I like some of the rock today. Some, I don't, not much, but I like some, but I tend to always go back and, you know, people say, man, dude, you're stuck in the eighties. I'm like, I'm proud of it. I am proud of it. Like anything I write now has an eighties feel to it. It's because of people like you, your bands and a lot of other bands too. But what what do you think it is about us today? Maybe more a lot of guys, but there's some girls involved too. What is it about that '80s rock that just has a special place in a lot of our lives and probably will for a long time? Rock and metal, both. Well, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it was a pretty distinct era with between the sound, uh, the styles. Um, you know, I mean, you know, some people will you know critique the the lyrical content i myself critique the lyrical content of a lot of 80s songs but you know what a lot of it was really fun yeah and fun is an important part of music i mean you you know everything being so serious music is meant to entertain and you know if your life is serious enough do you really want everything to be i mean i love serious songs i really do i love you too i love radiohead i love muse i love a lot of bands that write serious stuff Mm -hmm. but I also appreciate the fact that I want to be entertained. Yes. And I think a lot of the 80s music was just about having fun. Mm-hmm. And that's a great quality. I know my wife loves 80s music. And that's why. Because it's fun for her. She enjoys it. She can she can move. but it, And, you know, she, she gets into the heaviness and everything. But she has fun with those songs. And not only do they bring back good mel- memories, but... They are fun songs, and you got to give credit to the the people that wrote those songs. You know, somebody like Poison, who I never looked at as musical. No, nope. uh, you know, any any high degree of musicality, but my God, they wrote fun songs and they entertain people, and that's a big part of it. That's right. A lot of us, you know, guitar players or bass players, drummers, whatever, we look back and we say, okay, well, it's not exactly a lot going on there. However, we'd be real hypocrites if we didn't say we we're tapping our, when our girlfriends or wives or whatever watching the band, we're tapping our feet and fists in the air. I mean, it, it, it moves you, right? It's music that moves you no matter yeah. what it is. Yeah, I love it. That's right. And, and also, when you think about earlier 80s stuff, you know, a lot of that, there was some technically challenging stuff going on. Um you know, it was funny. I was at the gym today, and "Lay It Down" by Rat came on. Great song. And I, and I was listening to it. I was, wow, 
this is really great. I haven't heard this for a while. And this is like really great playing and cool riffs. And I mean, what a great vibe. And, you know, I mean, there was some musicality in some of the earlier L.A. metal kind of stuff that was really, I mean, it was underplayed because I think the vibe and the image and the whole glammy, fun L.A. thing was, was so so prevalent. But, but I mean, there was some serious musicianship in there. You know, early Dokken had some great musicianship in it, too, if I may say so myself. Oh, of course um, so. And there was a lot of those bands that, that really, they could play. I mean, my God, I mean, that that's another part of it that I think attracts a lot of people to it. I mean, the guitar playing, you know, yes, it got a little overdone, and mm-hmm. yes, it got a little generic after a while, and it got a little bit where, you know, samey, where a lot of people kind of sounded the same. Mm-hmm. But let's face it, the the guys that mattered, the Eddies, the Georges, the Warrens, the, you know, and the, the list goes on, they were serious players that really had something to say and played incredibly well, and uh, no wonder people appreciated it. It was great. Agreed. And here's a comment over in the chat, and this will talk about you say how things kind of started to sound the same. Quentin James, good friend of mine, says, hey, Jeff, thanks for doing the show. George is responsible for my for him buying an ADA MP1 back in the day, Tone for Days. And so you got your, your George Lynch's, you had Vito Brada using that, you had Paul Gilbert using that. I mean, every guitar player with a long hair and a Les Paul, whatever, had that ADA MP1 preamp. But uh, yeah, people were going down that, that path, and they kind of followed it. But you know what? It was a very happy place. And like you say, the memories, we can, whether it's your first kiss, your first date, your first uh, whatever proposal, your first beer, it was all surrounded around those days. And I, I do miss them a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that that's another part. See, for me, I'm a little bit older in that, you know, I certainly didn't have my first kiss in the 80s, I'll tell you <laughs> that. I, I know. Um, so, uh, but, um, so it's a different set of um you know, memories for me and, and nostalgia for me, the, nost- the nostalgia kind of goes, goes for me to the, I mean, what a fun place LA was in the eighties. I, I mean, it imagine. was, it was a huge party every night and, you know, maybe that's a bit vacuous, but it was really fun. I mean, you know, we go to the rainbow every night. A lot of times the party would end up in my little apartment on Fountain Avenue in Hollywood till three, four, five in the morning, you know, this tiny little apartment, but somebody had to have the after rainbow party and yeah. you know, I, I had my share. Uh, and it was just so much fun. It was really fun and exciting, and what a great youth. Um, so those are my nostalgic memories from that. Um, but it all goes hand in hand. And it, w- it was also very exciting on the musical level because it was it was so great that that heavy rock was getting this place in the mainstream. Um, that was a real cool thing. And maybe that took away some of the rebelliousness over time. But uh, it sure felt great at the time, and and it was sure fun, and uh, you know we all felt like we were on top of the world, and that's kind of a nice place to be. Exactly, and and you know the, what I really miss about that too, and here here in Canada, it could be different than where where it is for you, but over the past. 10, 12 years, um, bar, like here in Canada especially, bars have been dying down. They've been closing up. Um, in a lot of towns, other cities, uh, whatever, bring in the non-smoking laws. Once non, the non-smoking in the bars came in, people like to smoke and they like to drink, and they go hand in hand. So when they brought in these laws banning smoking in the bars, it uh, it really killed a lot of bars. A lot of people, a lot of bars just closed the doors and they shut down. I, I can remember the day, and especially where you're from in, in the days back in the 80s and the club scene back there, but in a small town, Ontario, there could be, uh, and when I'm saying small town, like uh, th- maybe 30,000 people at the time, 
there would be six to eight uh, big rock bars with a wait, like people, 30 people deep outside yeah. the door waiting to get in. And nowadays in that small 30 to 40,000 town, there might be three bars. One of them may yeah. play rock music occasionally. Yeah. It's changed. May, yeah. 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 Well, and entertainment has changed. I mean, this is a multimedia world now. You know, how much time are people spending doing this on their cell phones? It's kind of crazy. I know. Uh, it's a different and, and I recognize that, and I understand the change. And, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I kind of I miss those days, and I certainly miss the element of live clubs and that kind of thing, um, although I wouldn't be much of a club goer these days. No. But uh, it was a great scene. It was it was a great thing, and I kind of, I kind of feel for younger people that don't have a comparable scene. I mean— but I guess to them it doesn't matter because they're on their cell phones and they're playing their video games and then they're playing word, words with friends and then they're, you know, texting everybody and then they're on, you know, Facebook. And then you know, yeah. so it's a different world. Uh, and I, I get that. Um, uh, but it doesn't mean we didn't have a lot of fun at the time. Oh, that's right. And the old cliche of be careful what you wish for is, is no more true here because, you know, we OK, I wish I could know more about Doc and what was Doc and doing. Now we know everything. Right. Maybe sometimes even too much. Yeah. Whereas back in the day, unless yeah. unless George threw a TV out the window or something, you know, we wouldn't know about it unless it was on, you know, uh, New York New York Post or something. Nowadays, you know, it's it's everywhere, right? It's like it's tweeted the second it happens. Yeah. So is it is yeah. it is it a blessing That's or is right. it a curse? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, any press is good press, so I guess yep. that part of it's a blessing. Um, I, I, but I think what's 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 a shame is that there is some mystique that's lost. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, the mystique, when I was a kid, you know, in the 70s, you know, listening to like Led Zeppelins and, and people like that, you really didn't know much of what they looked like yet. You no. had an idea and you see occasional pictures, but that mystique, what it did in your imagination made it bigger than life. And, and to me, uh, ever since the CD era, really, when we lost the buying an album experience where you had that album to open up and look at and everything else. Um, Ever since then, it's kind of lost the mystique. And uh, to me, that mystique was a huge part of it. Um, And I, I, you know, I, I think some, someday somebody's going to figure out how to put that mystique online. And when they do, they're going to be very successful. Geniuses. Because back in the day, you could have a fan come up to you that, could, you know, this is before YouTube, before any social media, whatever, and they could walk right on past you. Or maybe it's a meet and greet. And all of a sudden, okay, so, uh, you know, a guy and his wife comes in to get to meet you. And all of a sudden, there they would be a deer in headlight situation. I'm in front of Jeff. You know, they don't know what to say because they don't really know who you are. Then they're there. Nowadays, we can prepare for it three weeks in advance. And they'll tweet back and forth with you. Jeff, I can't wait to see you on Friday, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that, yeah, like you say, the mystique is gone. It's almost like... Hey Jeff, great! I'm a I'm a big fan. Nice to finally meet you. As opposed to the deer in yeah, headlights. Yeah, we didn't even. Yeah, we, we didn't do meet greets in the eighties. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> It'd be occasional time you'd meet people backstage, but there was never meet and greets like there. It was not quite like as business like as it is now. Yeah. Um, you know, meet and greets are all they're just part of the business model now, uh, especially because live performance is so important as opposed to recorded music. But uh, yeah, all right. Oh well. That's, you know, I think we've covered all that. That's, that's right. Uh, that's- for sure. I'm sure there's probably some time the meet and greets would consist of you guys towards the end of Doc and maybe the meet and greets for the band would be showing up on stage and that would be the only time you'd see one another. <laughs> 
Well, there was there was definitely times with them was the case, absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. With any band, for sure. Um, so I want to yes. go over to a question here. This is from actually from Patrick from Scary Groove. He runs scarygroove.com, as I mentioned earlier. A really good comment. He says, mm-hmm. "Jeff, I love TNN and the Slave to the Empire album. Excited to hear Superstroke. What was the creative songwriting process like with George? And will this be re- still be released in 2018? And a follow up question. And will it be a touring band at all? Okay. Um, First of all, no, no. The plan is early 2019 for mm-hmm. that. Um, but we do have 11 songs written. Uh, at least George and I have written the music for 11 songs, and seven of them uh, have all the vocals completed. Oh, um, so seven of the songs are essentially done. Um, and uh, so the writing process was George and I got together and wrote the music, like I say, 11 pieces. Um, and then uh, Robert came out and he and I worked on the melodies and lyrics. Uh, and then as soon as we wrote it, we recorded it. So it was fresh and it felt great. And Robert is singing his ass off on this. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what an instrument this guy has. I mean, it's, I mean, there's there's very few instruments like that mm-hmm. in the world <laughs> that are that strong, have that much range, that can tap into that kind of emotion. Uh, and he's really doing a great job in the writing department, too. So, I mean, it's been really, really, really magical. Um, so the plan is early 2019. There's going to be 11 songs. There is a Japanese bonus track, which was an acoustic remake that we did of one of the songs that came out really cool. And uh, George, George and I... We, we, we redid all the, the music acoustically, um, and he did an acoustic solo that is just so wonderful. I mean, it's, re- it's really cool stuff. Nice. Um, so there'll be 12 songs in Japan. Um, early 2019, like I say, is the release. Uh, everything looks like it's going on schedule. Actually, uh, Robert is coming here Monday to work, and we're going to uh, start you know, finishing up the remaining four songs. Um, the, uh, the, the idea of touring is very much... Uh, something that we want to do with this. Um, this is a, this is a project that we're looking at long term. Um, I would, you know, this would be something that, uh, I would like, we want to keep invested in this for a long time. Um, and so we're, I I don't want to go into all the details. We are working on a plan that could get us to be touring in early 2019 and I'm hoping it happens. I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to say uh, say what it is. But if it happens, it would be really great. It would be short, of course, mm-hmm. because my foreigner schedule doesn't let up much. Um, but, it, but it would be impactful. And what a live band that would be to see. So um, we're really excited about it. We're really happy with the music, all of us. I mean, Mick, I haven't seen Mick Brown this excited in a long time, and it's really fun. I mean, he came and just played his ass off and sang great and just I mean Mick when Mick is on he is just such a wonderful band member and um, everybody has just been at the peak of their game on this and it's really really exciting Um, so I can't wait for people to hear it and uh, like I say I hope they get to see it live and I hope that that's in early 2019 that's good and that's contagious isn't it when you get people like Mick like that that's really excited and it's just it's it's instant spread fantastic yeah that's what it's all about you know, exciting, getting the other people off, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, when, when George is on, he gets off, he makes all of us on mm-hmm. when Mick is on, makes George and I play better. Uh, when I'm on, who knows what it does, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it just, it, you know, it definitely, it, it, it is very contagious, like you say, and having somebody like Robert fronting, it has been 
it's like I say, I just I want to play it live. That's I good. really want to play That's it live. And we would, of course, do a lot of docking music and probably some lynch mob music. So we play the crap out of all that stuff. Well, fingers crossed it'll work because I know that that's how it worked for well with you guys doing the tour of Dokken uh, last year or the year before whatever it was and mm-hmm. because Foreigner had a break so we'll fingers crossed for everybody yes. that it works out so everyone gets their share and that'll, that'll be great so here's something we alluded oh, to Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so what we alluded to earlier tonight, we talked about Monsters of Rock, and uh, that's where I got to see you for the first time, and a lot of people saw Dokken for some of the first times as well, too. And, you know, going back and looking back at Monsters of Rock, because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, when I was there, um, you know, Pontiac Silverdome, I'm having a few um, tailgate uh, Budweiser's in the, in the, you know, and uh, <laughs> partaking a little too much. So I had to actually go back and relive the uh, Monsters of Rock through Wikipedia and everything like that, which isn't exactly the best. <laughs> didn't even realize uh, it was a two-day event there. Why didn't you just take pictures on your cell phone? Yeah, yeah, I didn't have one. <laughs> did not, and actually, I didn't even think I had a camera back then, a 35-millimeter. But anyways, uh, so we're there while partaking in, uh, in, a, in a great venue. Uh, you guys, Van Halen, Scorpions, uh, Kingdom Come, Metallica. And I, forgot, I felt so embarrassed one day. I'm talking about this show on the air, and I'm like, I named all the bands except for Metallica, and I was like, I forget the other band. And people were in the chat were like, uh, Metallica. I'm like, okay, sorry, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> They're just a small warm up band, right? But anyways, uh, yeah. so reliving this this tour around thirty some odd dates. I'm just trying to you know going back and re research the tour. And there's a good documentary out there. Someone produced it, like a kind of a fan documentary. There's a lot of doc yeah. and stuff in it. And I didn't realize how some there was a lot of a plaguing of the tour, not because not just you guys. Like there's technical problems here and there. The very first show, you know, people were throwing the astroturf up on the stage and food fights and all that kind of stuff. Was there was there is there any truth to that tour as far as being like a kind of plague for problems and anything you can be whether it be funny horrible that you can contribute to that uh, scenario? Um, I I wasn't aware of any kind of a curse going on uh, by <laughs> any means. I do. I do remember something funny that happened to us. The very first show, yeah. which was at Alpine Valley yeah. in Wisconsin. Uh, and, um, you know, back then, as I was talking about earlier, you know, we used to do these drum triggers where, you you know, to, to try and get a bigger drum sound, mm-hmm. you you would you'd have this little trigger thing that would be put on the drums that would then create a sound that the sound man had to you know, to, to use a sample that would be sound really good over the PA. Right. Well, somehow that first day, and you know, of course the first day was a cluster, you know what, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure to say that word on You're here, but anything, anyway, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, a, a cl- cluster intercourse. Yes. Um, anyways. And, uh, so anyways, in, in, in his hurrying, our sound man accidentally hooked up the kick drum to the snare drum trigger oh, no. and the snare drum to the kick drum trigger. <laughs> and we ended up with the song Kiss of Death, which <laughs> I will never forget how this sounded because we were hearing the samples in our monitors as well because, you know, it was a huge stage. And you hear with the monitors more than you hear the actual acoustic drums. Sure. So all of a sudden we start into Kiss of Death and the kick and the snare are backwards. So it sounded like this really demented country song. And it was just the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it lasted for like a minute, which felt like a thousand years up there. Uh, and finally, you know, our sound guy figured it out and he reversed it and everything was fine. But I remember that first minute just thinking, what is going on? It was just crazy. It sounded like the devil had taken over the sound system. Maybe he did. That would be absolutely <laughs> horrible. I, I had one experience. But no, most of my memories of that tour were actually, most of my memories are about a lot of fun. Because frankly, Dokken was not in a great headspace at that point. We sure. were not 
playing at our best and we were not performing at our best, which I'm really sorry to say because the audiences were so huge. Um, and, you know, Metallica blew us off the stage every night. There's no question about it. Um, and, you know, it was so it's, it's a little, you know, it kind of hurts and it's a little embarrassing to think about in some ways. But, boy, did we have fun at those after show parties. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. You know, generally, unless we did multiple, you know, there's several place, cities where we did like two nights. But in every other case, there had to be at least two or three days, usually three between shows because the equipment was there was so much stuff yeah. that they had to send the trucks on ahead and it was it was like this gigantic caravan of trucks and it took them a whole day or so to even set up yeah so there couldn't be a bunch of shows back to back well that gave us a lot of idle time and idle time to music young musicians hanging together is uh, a recipe for disaster so there was the debauchery on that tour was legendary but Boy, it was really fun. And, you know, I, I stopped drinking and drugging not too long after that tour, so at least I went out in style. There you go. Yeah, you had, you had something to go out with. Well, that was five bands was, on a five bands on a tour with no side stages. That was, Everyone shared the same stage, correct? That's right. Yeah, so it that, was great. that took, that was took really a lot. Great. A lot yeah. of fun. For yeah. sure. So that's that's Van Halen's second tour of Sammy Hagar, and what, and obviously right. a little bit of a theme here with uh, the Van Halen channel kind of thing. What was it like watching those guys? And I mean, we we don't necessarily have to go into all the the graphic details that could happen uh, with those guys on the road, but what was it like, you know, watching the juggernauts of Van Halen, Scorpions, Van Halen especially in that day? Did you was there anything you picked up from those guys, uh, whether it be entertainment, yeah. you know, showmanship wise, or did anything? Share with us. Well, you know, number one, I, I had met Michael before, but that was when I actually befriended Michael, mm. Anthony, yep. who was on that tour. And um, not only did we become friends and go up and do our share of damage and party together, mm -hmm. but um, but I used to, I would often watch their show and I would, you know, I'd go up to the monitor guy and I'd say like, hey, just solo Michael's channel for a second, you know, and I'd hear cool. Michael's voice and I was like, God, that sounds good. Or, you know, just solo the bass for a second and play the bass. God, that sounds great. So, I mean, you know, part of my respect for Michael, um, other than, you know, just as any fan would have from observing the records and the live shows and whatnot, was just that firsthand glimpse. I mean, he blew me away on that tour. His singing was flawless every night. And he and Sammy together. Yeah. Pretty powerful vocal sound. I mean, it's, it's pretty undeniable. Um, and... So and and then I loved watching, for, and, and Sammy was singing at his peak then too. Sure Sammy was. was truly amazing every night. Uh, but then just the the way Michael, Eddie, and Alex played together, it was so unique, and so much fun, and and kind of chaotic but really cool. Um, and watching that was you know because Eddie is so in control, mm -hmm. and Alex is is in control, but he's kind of loose. Michael's very in control, control, but just holding it down with ferocity, you know. Yeah. And the, that that element that they had together um, really inspired me, and I watched that as much as I could. Uh, the Scorpions—they're a machine. Yeah, they're great every night. I've seen the Scorpions a bazillion times, and they're always great. I've never seen a bad Scorpions show. That was just so much fun. Um, King Metallica were really great. That was that was the beginning of their I mean that was when they really were beginning to peak out and be what they became, you know. Mm -hmm. Um they were great every night. Um and uh and they were great 
great people too. They were a lot of fun to hang out with. And Kingdom Come was really good. Underrated yeah. because you know you know people people put the Zeppelin thing on them, which I thought was a little unfair. Yeah. Yes, that one song was reminiscent of Cashmere, but a lot of people ripped off Led Zeppelin and. Lenny Wolf is a very talented guy, and he didn't get the credit he was due for a lot of the great songs he did. Plus, I was a huge, as as were George, Mick, and, and Don, by the way, yep. we were huge Stone Fury fans. And we loved the Stone Fury record uh, that came out just a couple years before that. Um, so we had a lot of respect for Lenny right out the gate, and Don and Lenny happened to be pretty good friends. Um, so... I thought they were great, and that's you know James Kotak was great every night. I already knew James, but then that's another friendship that got pretty solidified on that tour. Um, so that was a that was a fun show to watch, and and yes, like you in the parking lot, we did some indulging. <laughs> I, I that was probably my first experience to a real big rock festival. Um, I, I don't even want to do the math and figure out how old I was there, but I was probably just old enough to drink, probably obviously just old enough to drink in Michigan. In Canada, it's 19. In, in the United States, obviously uh, uh, 21, I guess. So obviously I was old enough to drink or else I was doing it illegally. I don't even remember that. But um, but I do remember it was definitely your money's worth for sure. Whether it was a good sounding venue or a bad sounding venue, you get five killer, killer bands sure. for a decent ticket price. You yeah. can't even see one band today for what you got to see for all you guys. Yeah. Yeah, that was Well, phenomenal. like I said, that's... Kind of disappointed that we didn't give it our best, but but you know, at least we at least we were there, and at least we had the experience, and um, and and at least I have that memory to to live off. Of, of course, uh, and to you know live. What? You finished the tour. Yeah. You got. I mean, you cannot say anything. I mean, you guys went. Yeah. You did the tour. You did. You whatever whatever came out of it. You did it. And um, I know you guys. As any entertainer, you're going to be hard on yourself. And sure, maybe there are some parts that the band could have did better or whatever. We we're not here to judge that. Only you can judge that, not us. Um, but you, uh, you did it. You have the memories, like you say, and, uh, and we're, we're all thankful for it. I'd like to see some more videos of that. I've only seen a few bootlegs here and there. I'd like to try to research and find some more to, to relive that. Cause that's before the days of the YouTube. Nowadays, we can see five different, 50 yeah. different camera angles, you know, I know which Crazy. Is- it's a good thing and a bad thing. I'll jump over to some comments yeah. here in the chat, and then before well, I'm going to give you some food for thought uh, when I come back. There's a next question for you. So we talked about um, how the first time you saw George uh, as a guitar player and what you know what your thoughts were on him. I want you can think about this. Your first time ever hearing this could be as a kid, uh, you know, uh, first time hearing Eddie Van Halen, teenager, whatever, and uh, what your thoughts were on him. So that you think about that about the Eddie Van Halen first experience hearing him, and uh, we'll come back to that in a second. So we've got Rich Stellman in the chat says. Uh, hey, Eric and Jeff, not enough people talk about the Lynch Pilsen, a Wicked Underground album. Jeff's great vocals and George on fire, for sure. And other people, Mark Thorne, 666, I agreed. Quentin James says, shared a few to Face Planet pages. Uh, let's get some more viewers. Max Raider, uh, can you ask him about Superstroke? Um, Superstroke, yeah. I think we could. Yep, for sure. I think we could. Yep, for sure. Um, Tactical Six Stream says, man, I've seen Doc and Live probably eight to ten times. You guys played Portland, Maine a lot. Wow, eight to ten times is fantastic. That's like me with Van Halen. I wish I could say I've seen you guys that many times. Um, it just yeah. wasn't, wasn't I wasn't into it at the time, at least in the areas, sure. in areas, right? Because so I'm, I'm from a small town, Ontario. The only place I could see you guys would be Detroit, maybe Toronto. So it was, uh, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere, you know what I mean? So to see you was very tough. Yeah, it was harder. Uh, well, let me see. That's okay. Yeah. There's no penalty. <laughs> I get to still keep my cool card? To answer, yeah, to, yeah, absolutely. All right. To answer your Eddie Van Halen question, um, I remember when the first record came out, I was I was in a cover band playing clubs at the time, and we did uh, You Really Got Me. Nice. So that's when I heard that, and it, it blew me away. What's really funny is, you know, his tapping thing um, – 
I had heard uh, years, uh, probably five, five or six years before that, four or five years at least, mm-hmm. um, there was a band called Camel. And the guitar player's name was Andy Vladimir. They, they were an in English band. And I saw them. They opened up for Robin Trower at the Paramount Theater in Portland uh, in the mid-'70s. And I saw them there. And I remember clear as a bell that Andy Vladimir, you know, he played something. And he went, you know, he, he tapped. And it was the okay. first time I'd ever seen it. Not tapping like what Eddie did, but yeah. it was the first time I ever seen that kind of thing. Yeah. And when I first heard Van Halen, I go, he's doing that thing that <laughs> that that guy did. But holy crap, he listened to what he's doing. And it, you know, it blew my mind. Like, like everybody, it blew it. You know, it just, it was otherworldly. It was like another planet. Uh, he blew my mind. The first time I saw him live, I would, well, I, I would assume it would be on videos, but I know the first time I saw him live, and this is me, not the rest of the docking guys, because all the rest of the docking guys played the clubs when they were playing the clubs. I was yeah. up in San Francisco at the time. But, but you know, uh, the boys, which was George's band, George and Mick, they always played with Van Halen. In fact, the night that Van Halen got signed, yes. I think this is kind of a legend story, Gene Simmons and Paul, Sam- Paul Stanley were actually there to see George's band, and they ended up signing Van Halen instead. Ouch. Um, but they, those guys knew them from day one, and they go way back. But the first time I actually saw Van Halen live was in a rehearsal uh, for the 1984 tour. Um, they were rehearsing right down the street from my crazy little apartment in Hollywood. And George called me up, and he said, Hey, uh, I just got invited to go see uh, Van Halen rehearse. You want to go? And I was like, Well, of course, you know. So, yeah. so he came and picked me up, and we went to watch them. And I'd never seen them live, and it was like, Wow, <laughs> it was crazy. And they were doing the keyboard stuff, and it was before the record was either the before the record was out or right. Uh, it was it hadn't cracked yet. Sure. Put it that way. And I know that the keyboard thing shocked me, um, and I was like, Wow. How ballsy! He's playing keyboards. How, you know? Wow, that's really and you know. I mean, it it almost seemed like light and kind of like, wow, that's kind of taking a chance. But I loved the fact that they were being so against the grain. You know, here yeah. you got this guitar hero playing keyboards. You know, it was it was it was kind of wacky. But they were great, and they were the rehearsal was really amazing to watch. And uh, that was the first time I saw Eddie play up close, and. Uh, Change my, you know, I mean, change my perspective on things. Absolutely, wicked. Well, here's a question I've never really asked anybody. And this wasn't something, and it's a, it's a sensitive question. But would, did you ever detect anything? Because you know, you mentioned the fact that it's a it's a notorious, uh, you know, uh, legendary story about you know Van Halen playing that night. There, uh, Gene and Paul and there, and everyone's there to see uh, George's band. Did was there ever kind of a, a real friendly camaraderie, or even kind of like a a competition between Eddie and oh, George? Oh yeah, I mean. Oh, there was severe competition. Are was you there, kidding? <laughs> I'm trying to be very delicate about it. <laughs> but but it was always a friendly rivalry. And both of them, I think, would speak nothing but very highly of each other. That's cool. Um, during the Monsters of Rock tour, as a matter of fact, there was a lot of nights that ended up Eddie and George and I hanging out together. Nice. Um, and, you know, there was, of course, the, you know, the griping about the lead singer stuff was going on. But oh, Always, um, always. But, uh but but uh, but there was also um, a severe musical camaraderie about them. You know, they kind of came from similar places. I mean, I think uh, I think uh, Eddie was. Um, I'm not sure who Eddie's specific 
influences were necessarily, but um, you would probably know better than I. But, you know, George, I know, was more from the Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix school. Yeah. And we used to talk about that. And, and again, I don't really remember who Eddie would reference. I mean, I know, Ed, you know, believe it or not, I know Eddie loved ZZ Top and he loved Billy Gibbons. Yeah. Billy Gibbons was a huge thing loved. And, you know, and of course, so does George. But I mean, it was it was really fun watching those two guys talk about guitar. I mean, I, I got to admit, being being in the room for a lot of that and several nights of that was was very interesting. So, yes, to answer your question, it was a friendly rivalry, but it was a pretty severe competition, too. Um, you know, they 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 were, you know, they were out to blow each other away, of course. Now, is Eddie the senior? Is he older than George? Uh I believe so, but Barely. not by much. Okay. It's pretty clear. What, what year was Eddie born? You would know. I don't know. He's 63. Am I right oh. on that? I, I'm, I feel really bad. I should I should know that well, brain in my... In- George is 63, so they might be the same age. Okay. So, there yeah. you go. Um, I know George was born in 54. So. Okay. Well, there you go. Let's get to know. And, and like I say, I was trying to be very delicate. I didn't want to sound like a jerk asking, you know, if there's, you know, but that's because they're, they're heroes. They're both heroes today. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. It was it was kind of what you might imagine, which is competition, but friendly. Uh, and you know they went back a long ways, and um, I and I think both were quite appreciative that they got to that you know that summit of the mountain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that was a pretty cool place to be in. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and it, was, I'm happy, it was all good. And I'm happy for the guitar heroes, that, for the people that worship him as a guitar hero, uh, that he's still doing many projects. So that's fantastic. He's giving his fans a lot of cool stuff yeah. uh, and every avenue that you can really? get from Lynch Mob to Dock into yeah. everything. It's it's phenomenal, uh, Sweet and Lynch. Yeah. Um, here's something, and I know you'll appreciate this, and I, and I mean this in, in 100%, 100% honesty. Um, a while back, I had another bass player, probably a friend of yours, Rudy Sarzer, on the show. And something I really yes. learned from him that it was really warmed my heart as far as, um, first of all, a genuine man. Um, you know, he's been doing what he's, he, he loves doing what he does. And you said earlier, you talked about loving your instrument. So that was n- uh, point number one. He loves his instrument. All he wanted to do as a kid growing up is he wanted to build, just, you know, make enough money that he can continue to play, uh, put some food on the table and play his bass one more night. Yep. And he is one of those guys yep. that's like a chameleon that he can just, you know, boom, 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 boom. That's why he's like playing with all these, uh, I guess who yep. and everything. You're, you're the same way. How do you do that? Number one, how do you go from metal guy to, you know, classic rock guy to, you know, ev- jazz everywhere in between and, and keep, keep, uh, you know, l- doing it for life. And how does it work so well for you? Well, I, I think it's really it really comes down to that. I love to play. Mm-hmm. I love I, I really love the bass guitar. I love music and I love the bass guitar and I love all styles of bass guitar. And and um, and I don't take it for granted. You know, I don't I don't I mean, I wouldn't say I'm not one of those guys that practices six hours a day anymore, sure. but I play as much as I can. Yep. And playing to me is the same as practicing. Um, and and I do. I just I love to play. And I mean, you know, one of the things that keeps me sane on the road is that Bruce Watson, the guitar player in Foreigner right now, and Michael Bluestein, the keyboard player, who also plays a lot of guitar, the three of us jam as much as we can before shows, just, you know, improvising. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that keeps me sane. It's good for your chops. It keeps your musical mind, you know, sharp. And um, 
I just love to play, and you know, I and I do love all styles. I mean, I've been playing long enough; I should understand it. I mean, sure. I, I I love all great bass playing. I love James Jamerson, and I love Chris Squire, and I love Cliff Williams, and I love you know. I mean, the the list goes on. Paul McCartney, John Paul Jones, yeah. you know, uh, Ian, you know. I mean, you name it, Roger Glover. I mean, everybody. I love all the greats. Entwistle. They're they're all great, and I love them all. And I've tried to learn as much as I can, and from all of them. So I I think it's fairly easy for me to go from style to style and, and band to band or whatnot, because it's not that big a deal to me. It's, it's just playing well within the songs that you're doing and in the style that you're doing. And I love doing it. So it's easy. I hear you. And like you say too, you talk about Mick with Mick coming to the band with being so, you know, contagious with attitude. And I think you do that to the bands too. And I think maybe that rubs off and people, people know that about you is like, okay, when Jeff comes to the project, he brings, he, not only does he bring the bass, does it bring, brings vocals and brings musicianship, he brings uh, fun, uh, energy, and it's contagious. And that goes through a band very, very quickly. And I think that maybe is a little underlying uh, bonus to you as well, too. Well, 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 thank you. I think that's kind of, I think that is partly true. I mean, I, I, and it's genuine. I mean, I just, I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I love the music. So, yeah, I guess that is contagious. I mean, uh, you know, it's like same with Rudy. Rudy, Rudy's just this really positive human being. I love that. And being around Rudy has this very comforting feeling about it. And and you know, he's he's a very he's very he's a very organic person. Mm-hmm. Um, and very real. And uh, I think bands need people like that too. Yeah. Um, you know, Mick Brown is kind of like that too. Mick Brown just has something very real about him that uh is somehow comforting yeah so but thank you that's all taken as oh and by the way i uh i ended up seeing that blabbermouth review that you talked about yes i didn't think it was as scathing as you mentioned i really honestly didn't i thought it was somewhat fair yeah and it kind of makes me want to bring up something that i i think kind of needs to be addressed about the whole dvd cd that we're that we're coming out with here next week and that's and it's something that i I kind of wanted to, I, I sort of wanted to put this in writing somehow on the CD and for some reason we never did it. But, you know, what their main complaint with the DVD was that it, it was kind of hodgepodgey. Yeah. You know, that it was, uh, you know, obviously, you know, this was taken from Japan and the show is here and blah, blah, blah. Well, that was done on purpose. Sure. Number one, and I've got to say, I think Chris McCarville, who edited the video, did a more than spectacular job. At, at putting this thing together for, with what he had to work with. And Don, for his part, did did, a, did great work at putting this together. It was not an easy task. Mm-hmm. The film was spotty. We didn't have a lot to choose from. We Most of the show is from South Dakota, and that was partly because that was the only show that had some professional video, although it didn't come out great, to be perfectly honest right. with you. And there was a lot of problems with it there was cameras missing and there was a lot of problems but um, the performances George and I chose and we chose them because we listened to everything and that show most of the performances of the songs were the best from that night and maybe it was because it was the first night there was just some kind of a magical energy about it it was chaotic Mm -hmm. but it was very magical um but of course because the whole concept was going to japan we needed to include japanese footage in it and 
course, the Japanese shows, the the Lodge Park show in particular, which was, you know, 40,000 people or whatever, you know, that looked the best. Those performances weren't necessarily the greatest. So we did, we knew that we were setting ourselves up for the criticism that it was going to be a little bit pieced together on the video side. Mm -hmm. But in defense of Don and Chris who did it, I think they did a great job. I wish we would have mentioned it so that people don't go in thinking that they're seeing this naked, you know, live raw video. It's not that. It really isn't that. Um, And 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 honestly, we didn't have the good. It wasn't there. the The Loud Park show was very well shot, Mm -hmm. but um, the other thing about the Loud Park show, there was no audience mics in the on the audio part. Yeah. So that was a huge crippling effect. Um, you know, because we we yes, of course, you can add a little bit of audience, but you can't add people going. It's not love. You know, you I can't. Know, you there's can't no do that. Sample library that has that in it. So so that immediately meant that that show was not usable for a lot of the mm-hmm. audience participation things. So the DVD, it is what it is. It's meant to be a hodgepodge. It's not meant to be one performance only it's meant to be an encapsulation of the whole tour it is a combination of shows it is a combination of you know, even within songs there's there's video there's pieces of video from other performances it has to be that way to make it mm-hmm. listenable or to make it watchable um and i think they did a fantastic job you know we really did concentrate on the audio to make sure that it sounded great of course and that we got the best performances and because of that the video p- portion was very difficult to do, and I think that they did a great job. And so, again, what the what the reviewer on Blabbermouth said, I mean, his points were well taken, mm-hmm. um, but I just think that the you have to go into it understanding that it's not going to be that live raw, you know, experience of one show. It's a it's an experience of the entire tour that sounds good that has the best possible video we can put to what we have. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's my opinion on this, and tell me if I'm wrong. I'm a video editor myself, and I'm, I, I'm a video producer. That's what I do for a living. Um, so, first of all, we're lucky enough to have this. So, you guys, you know, you didn't think this would ever even happen. You get back together, you do some shows, a handful of shows. So, we're graced with that. First, you know, lucky strike for us, number one. So, what this reviewer is talking about, and I, I might have blown out of proportion, and uh, but the fact is, okay, so hello, you know, we're here, and then all of a sudden it's a Japanese crowd. And the thing is, so what do you want to do? You you can't go back and, okay, we have to rent this auditorium now and get, uh, you know, 500 fans to come in and pretend to be, uh, we're live again to fix the edits that were lost. It, it, it is what it is. Um, it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Which is why a disclaimer of some sort might have been kind of helpful, but, yeah. but uh, that's why explaining it here because I think it's important for people to understand that and and again I'm very proud of it for what it is for what it is of you know? course but that's also the reason why I'm so glad that we have a new song on there and that mm-hmm. we did these acoustic remakes to give them a little more bang for the buck I, I agree and just like here us as, as Van Halen fans on this show we are just dying you know we don't think we're wondering if Van Halen's ever going to tour again and that's a question I have for you as a as both a fan uh, and, and a friend of Van Halen and also a touring veteran it would be a question before we wrap up tonight whether you think we'll see them do anything more but I mean as fans of bands we want whatever we can get We, you guys don't owe us anything but we will take anything you will give us whether it's a you know 8mm from back in the day or a handy cam or a you know 4K red camera we'll take whatever we can get but so we're lucky. So I think we're just blessed. Whatever you give us, and I'm looking forward to that. April twentieth, as far as I know, is the release date of that, right? I'm not. You're not 100 percent on that, but think so. I, I know I'm horrible with dates. It's but, okay. But I, it's somewhere there. So yeah, I'm pretty it's certainly sure. Pretty early 
available now. I know you can order it now. So that's that's the thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you. That's very kind that you're you're appreciative. But I mean, I think I look at it like we it's our duty to the fans to give them the best possible product we have. Yep. We can. And the only way to give something that we felt was up to our standards was to make it a combination uh, video of different, you know, different shots from different shows. And as much as that's not 100% authentic, Mm -hmm. uh, it's what to you and to all of us was the best possible outcome of uh, with what we had to work with. And again, I think they did a great job to the point that I'm very, very proud of what they did. And and you get to see a little bit of our personalities in there. We left a little bit of rawness in there. And there is some kind of a manic, chaotic energy that um, especially on the songs from that first show in South Dakota, yep. that really resonates. It's it's like I mean, you don't want to ideally record a band, you know, the first time playing together in twenty years, <laughs> yeah. and, and at least that that would not be the ideal circumstances. No. But but having said that, somehow the 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 craziness of the situation gave it an energy, an edgy energy that somehow translates. And I will say. The gentleman that mixed it, a guy, I have to give props to Bob Daspit who mixed that uh, the the audio, and he just did an insanely wonderful job, and he really made it sound like what we were hoping it could sound like, and and that's a big part of it for me. So, so um, I'm very very excited. Again, I feel like we owe. You say we don't owe you anything. I feel like we do. Okay. Um, you know, I had a wonderful career because of fans, and I don't ever forget that. That's. That's I cannot forget that. That's to me. It's it's just it's really critical. If you lose track of that, um, I think you've lost track with um, the actual part of you that connects to the audience. And as an artist, your whole objective is to connect with the audience. So I could never lose that, um, and I could never take for granted the audience being there. Um, I mean, the fact that people thirty five years later want to see us play blows my mind. So yeah. we're always going to do our to try and give the best product we can. Well, that that's phenomenal. And and myself, I'm a diehard Van Halen fan, and I and I I love Dawkins, but I'm not the diehard guy. I can't name the facts. I can't do all this kind of stuff like a lot of the people that are right. watching the show because of you tonight. But one thing I can say, outside looking in, I from what I read in interviews and things I see online, and just what I feel from you, I feel that you are a big catalyst in making these things continually to happen, and I just want to applaud you for that. I mean, I'm not going to say you're the only guy that's making it happen, but I think you are a strong contributor to making things continue to go forward for that band. Well, well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I mean that that's sort of simplifying it. I mean, I, I am a factor. Um, uh, I, I think everybody knows in the band that my agenda is for the band to come off as best as possible mm-hmm. um i mean not that we don't all feel that way sure. but but um for them to trust me to produce the audio is a pretty big thing it is um and i don't take that lightly because you know don's a producer in his own right everybody in the band has great ears and has great musical instincts so for them to give me that responsibility i don't take that lightly at all mm-hmm. um so but but i think they know that I'm going to give it my 100% and that I'm going to do my best to make sure everybody comes off great. Um, and uh, so maybe that helps make it a little easier. I hope so. I mean, that's kind of what a producer's supposed to do. Of course. Um, so, uh, so, from now, so I'll take the compliment from that angle. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of elements and, you know, it, it, Doc, Doc, it's a complicated beast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can imagine. 
I can imagine. Yes. Here's a question for you. This may be a very hard one, but I like to always ask this. Um, and this is a foreigner and a docking question. And you, with both bands, it's iconic catalogs. I mean, we can all sing, whether we know the guitar parts, whatever, there's iconic catalogs. Is there a particular song, one song each from each band that you can just, and especially this is cool because you didn't write necessarily the songs in Foreigner. You've had a lot of writing, you know, contrib- contributions in Dokken. So you're you're more like a fan in Foreigner contributing and, and a, and a f- physical contributor to the songwriting in Dokken. But is there a song for each that just playing live is just you are completely, you're timeless, you're weightless, you're, you're away from the audience, you're just in the zone. Can you name a song for each band that really takes you there? Wow, I know it's a tough one. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to narrow it down to one per okay. band. Okay, uh, but I'll give you a couple examples. I mean, when I was uh, in my formative years, uh, to me, the song "Waiting for a Girl Like You" was like one of the greatest ballads ever written. I just sure. thought it was an amazing composition and recording. I always felt that way. The melodies, just the sound of it, the feel of it, everything about it was really, really magical to me. So. Um, Every night when I play that, that kind of goes through my head. Um, and I'm like, wow, here I am playing. And there's a, there's a particular lilt to that song that when we get it right, which is most of the time because the guys in Foreigner are very consistent, um, it's just, it, has a, it just has a really magical quality. But then, then I go back to Feels Like the First Time, which to me, from the minute I heard it, I always thought was one of the greatest hard rock songs ever written. Um, just this powerful hook this great groove and it still works today so i mean when we get to the chorus of that song every single night you can just feel Feel the lifting quality in the audience and it's just a tremendously well-written song um and you know there's a lot of foreigner songs that i would put in that category but but because first time was the first one i heard Mm -hmm. i think it's got a nostalgic spot for me that makes it uh incredibly timeless and it just I mean, I think somebody could come out with that song today. You know, of course, they'd do it some other way or yeah. whatever. But but that hook would still work today, I think, like it did in 1977. I think it's that great. So many bands have covered their material. It's, I mean, they've covered Dokken, too. But, I mean, Foreigner has spanned so yeah. many so many bands, so many cover bands. I've even, like, Dirty White Boy, yeah. to me, was something that, because, you know, as a rock band, a four-piece rock band, I could do that. And that was a, that's sure. a big one to me. You know, that was a fun one to play. But yeah. what if, yeah. What a great band! Yeah, no. As far as, as, far as docking songs, um, again, it, there's a couple. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm curious. Um, yeah, there, I mean, none, there was there, at one point in the '90s when we were touring. Um, uh, I would sing "Just Got Lucky," and Don would play bass on it. And you know, that was we kind of just did that for fun. We didn't do that on the reunion tour because we were trying to stay more true to the the yeah. '80s format of sure. docking on that tour. And it just didn't seem right for me to sing a song in that yeah. format. Um, but uh, but when we got to do that in the 90s, that was really special for me. Number one, because I was getting to sing, which was really sure. fun. But that song, I really do enjoy singing that song. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just, it's one of those songs that really resonates with me to sing. Um, and then, but then there's so many uh, other ones live. Well, I'll tell you one that was it was it was kind of challenging, but that was really fun to do during the Japanese tour was Dream Warriors. I was so enjoying doing that right song. Um, it just there's something about it that just sounded just sounded sound so wonderful. Um, plus, and we didn't include this on the CD because we didn't get a good recording of it from Japan. 
which is the only place we played it electrically. We did it acoustically in South Dakota, and that recording didn't come out well. But a song called Will the Sunrise, okay. we did that uh, in Japan. And doing that live, I think all four of us really got off on doing that song. In fact, we, we tried it one day, and, and, and it was one of those rare moments where all four of us were like, wow, and that's cool. Because all four guys in Dokken being in sync, I mean, it's not as rare as you might think, right. but it is still fairly rare. And when it happens, it's very powerful, and it's it's really a fun feeling. I mean, because um, you know it's right if all four <laughs> of us agree on yep. something. But that song was really fun. It's Not Love is always really fun. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to narrow from there, but um, I guess that's a, there's, there's a few right there. That's perfect. I'm going to have one last question for you. We're about 14 minutes away from wrapping up, so I'm going to try to spend as much time jumping over to the chat for a quick second. So we're going to scroll through here real fast. Thomas Santiago says, hello to everyone in the chat. Um, ColdGin5150 says, Jeff, uh, where was the new Super Stroker album recorded at? A home studio or elsewhere? And what are the songs like? Thank you, he says. They are, it was recorded right in the room that I'm in right now. This is my studio. Perfect. Um, which I can, uh, I'll show you a little bit. Uh, here, here we go. Oh, yeah. This is just, there's my monitor and nice. my computer down there somewhere. This is my rack of gear and and uh, see if I can get back far enough so you can see. You know, there's yeah. a, there's, actually, that that's Vivian Campbell's amp right there because we were doing some last in line guitars the other day. Heck um, yeah. This is this is my relatively recent Marshall purchase that I love. This Marshall right here in the middle is one that. Uh, George recorded a lot with in the 90s, and Don brought it by recently. He said, hey, I'm sitting in storage. I want you to use it. This is a lot of my gear. Um, my drum room, you can't really see, but if you can see that there's glass over there, the yeah. drum room's on the other side of the glass. Here's my back wall, and this is my arsenal of axes and cables, and there's my CD collection over there that uh, <laughs> I guess I can burn someday. But sure. uh, as you see, I have a few instruments lying around. So anyways... Superstroke, as was the last in line record, uh, both the first and second, uh, were done right here at my studio. And uh, I love my studio. My studio is absolutely wonderful. And um, what is the music like? Uh, I w if I had to describe it, which I guess I do, mm -hmm. um, I would say that it's kind of um, Lynch Mob meets Dokken. It's very groove oriented, um, but it's got a lot of harmonies like Dokken does. Um, and it, you know, there's, there's just, a, there's a melodic quality that is maybe a little more melodic than, than your, than a, a typical Lynch Mob record. Um, so it's a little more melodic, but it is still very heavily groove oriented. But then there's also some musical twists. There's a couple places where we, we kind of stretch out and do some really interesting things. George is soloing on this record. There's some moments that every time I hear it, just give me goosebumps and the hairs on the back of my neck just raise like. <laughs> I can't believe his playing is so inspired on this record. It's just so inspired. And Robert's singing is it's melting material all the way through. So I guess if you're a Lynch Bob Dawkin fan, you're going to love it. Um, uh, somebody, uh, uh, the, the label uh, Frontiers heard it and they, they, they said it also reminded them a little bit of uh, Badlands, the song, the, the group with uh, Jakey Lee and, yeah. and Ray Gillen. So it's there is a bluesy, there's a heavy groove bluesy element about it. Um, uh, 
and like I say, but there is a lot. There are harmonies on, in spots, quite a, quite a bit of harmonies in spots. Um, and then there's that just that heavy groove that George Mick and I make. So um, I think fans are going to really be happy. I know the label's really excited, and and I'm I, I know the four of us are really excited. Which that's what great. a great place to start. And to be compared <laughs> yeah. to Badlands and things like that, I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I, I never would have thought of that, but the, when he said it, I kind of, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was it's a compliment. I was, thought it was very You probably cool. would have never thought at the time, but once you hear it, like, okay, I see, some, I see some merit in that for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Will's here from Guitar News Networks jumping in. Uh, Scary Groove says, what comes first, the melody or the lyrics for you when you write songs? Sometimes a riff, Almost, maybe a riff? Well, uh, it depends. I mean, um, when George and I write, we almost, I mean, 99.9% of the time we start with the music. Yeah. And generally what we do is we just play around with ideas. Um, sometimes George will come in with a riff and he'll say, hey, what do you think of this? And he'll play it off of his phone. And I'll say, yeah, let's build something off that. And we'll start building a song off that. Sometimes we just, you know, we're just kind of jamming back and forth and we stumble onto something. You know, uh, there are times when we go hours of just messing around with things and you know we'll even go down the path and start pursuing something for a while and we might turn around and say eh nah let's do something else so um it, you never know on the lyric side it's almost always melodies first um just i mean i i'm just for me i'm just a very melody oriented guy um when when Robert came, though, and started rehearsing, um, when I started writing with, uh, when we, we were writing the vocal stuff, um, he had a little notebook with just notes in it. And, you know, some, sometimes they were random lyrics or sometimes just phrases. So there were times when, you know, he would just say, what do you, you like anything here? And I'd look through it and I'd go, oh, there you go. That, there, there's a phrase. Let's, you know, let's build around that. So um, there were times when we actually did start with the lyrics on that and, um, and that kind of dictated the melody as well. So, um, you know, there is no one way of doing it. Right. You know, if there were, it would be formulaic and, you know, Photocopy. music is an art science. I mean, it's a science too, but it's mostly an art. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so there's no way, one way of doing it, but generally the, the process I described is how at least George and I do it. Yeah. And sometimes complete freaking accidents, which you never want to admit it was an accident, but sometimes accidents like, wow. Okay, we did, we can't tell this it just happened like that. Plenty of those. <laughs> Plenty sure. of those. And that that applies to everything, paint uh, artistic paintings, uh photography, everything. Here's a good question from Tone Wars Jared. He says uh uh Jeff, what's your thoughts regarding and you kind of alluded to this about, you know, people with their phones, blah blah blah. He says, "What's your thoughts people uh, regarding filming while you perform?" You just see some of these people like the Jack Whites and that they put you have you at these like kind of kind of booby-trapped Ziploc bags with a combination lock where you can't use your phone. What right. are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts are that uh I mean it's pretty difficult to take everybody's phone. I mean, it's not impossible. Nope. And frankly, I mean, if I had my preference, I'd love it if nobody had a phone inside there. I'd like it if people were in the moment and actually watching the show. Um, And, you know, YouTube can be it can be your friend and it can be your enemy sometimes, you know. Um, um, But, you know, having said that, I mean, it's just part of the landscape now. And unless you're going to go through the expense and the bother to try and prevent everybody from doing that, um, you have to accept that they're going to be there. I think I think when people do entire I've, i mean i've seen people do entire shows that's i don't think that's cool no i think that's too much if you post a song 
that you know moves you, great. That's spreading the word to me. Then that's just a form of promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can accept all that. Um, the problem to me is I I just see us turning into this society where we're not in the moment. Exactly. And that 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 I think is problematic. I think that's going to have repercussions down the road. Um, so you know if you're gonna, but if you know if you know that okay, the band's about to do the song, and I know I love this song, and I've seen them do it before, and they do it great. I'm going to capture this. If you do that and it moves you, and you post it, I, you know I get that. I think that's cool, and I've got no problem with that. Um, like I say, just as long as you're in the moment, as long as you're you know part of the experience and not just on the periphery, then you know do do what makes you happy. Yep. I'm there on both sides of the fence. I'm if I'm going to capture an entire performance, I'm going to be either I'm can be paid by the band or the management, and I'm going to be hired. I'll be getting some candidates. Now I, on the other side of the yeah. fence, I've been to some concerts where I'll shoot a song just because I want to be able to take that one song back and just not not, not to necessarily share with the world, but so I can preserve. Hey, that I filmed that. That was that was me there. That was us there, yeah. and that's cool. But you do not experience yeah. that concert looking through your phone. It, it's not the same no. because even though you're looking through your phone and you're hearing that blasting PA system. Now you're living through megapixels as opposed to feeling, living, feeling the sweat, fire, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Stink. You might, sweat. As, well, you might as well just watch what somebody else posts. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I don't, I just get it. But, but you know what? I'm also the world's worst guy at taking pictures and, and keeping pictures. And I'm just terrible at all that. So, um, and I guess I'm partly terrible because I kind of, I don't want to say I resent it, but I just I kind of have a resistance to the whole idea of spending too much time on cameras and videos. You yeah, know? and the thing is, it, it is it's technology today. Unfortunately, we can't really change anything about it. So as long as people are coming to the shows, I guess that's the main thing. They're spending the money on the tickets, they're buying mm-hmm. some T-shirts. So we you know we can't be too choosy, I guess. Right. The only the other the other downside though is that that is part not exactly but it's part of the whole problem that has turned the recording business so upside down and and to me that is a huge problem because it's really hard for bands to you know uh, well new i mean older bands and Mm -hmm. classic bands and but i mean i mean even any band really it's hard it's hard to sell a record these days i mean you know yes beyonce sells records and justin bieber sells records or whatever there is you know there are pop artists that sell records although even they don't sell the numbers that they would Mm -hmm. if the world were different um but the atmosphere does not encourage new music like i wish it did um i love the studio i really do i love the recording studio i love coming up with new music and i love being part of the creative process with other people and collaborating and coming up with great new things and and to me i mean i you know i i I do it when I can, because I love it. You know, I mean, I take whatever downtime I have to do that because I love it, not because I'm making millions of dollars doing it. Um, and, and, you know, but that's sad that it's in that state. I mean, you know, I, you should be able to make a living recording music, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, you really should. Um, and, uh, and of course there are people that do it, but it's a narrow pool of people because, uh, the mass public is not there for, anything except a small you know percentage of kinds of music and so i to me that's a huge downside i mean we all want to keep writing we all want to stay relevant i mean i've been so happy at how positive the response has been to the new Dawkins song yes um you know that's been a real positive thing and and i'm so glad um 
But, you know, I mean, it, it would be really hard to, to do a whole new record. But I, but I think that's a shame because I would love to do a whole new record. You know, and, and I think we've kind of gotten to a point in the music business. Somebody needs to invent a new way of monetizing the product so that we can encourage people coming up with new music again, other than just, you know, the trendy bands of the moment or just the pop stars. Exactly. And, you know, we talk as we wrap up here, I'm going to I'm going to jump into a Van Halen question for you. Just an opinion. It's just strictly an opinion question. But before we will set this up with this. So back in the day, you know, it was it was a ticket sales and it was merchandise and merchandise was king. And one of the things I'm not sure if you read any of the Van Halen books, uh, Van Halen Rising, which is great by uh, uh, Greg Renoff or Noel Monk's book. But this was pretty funny, like in Noel Monk's era. Uh, we eventually become uh, manager of the band. So nowadays, not only do we have merchandise for the bands to survive on, um, but now we have bootleggers. We've always had bootleggers out there selling albums, selling merchandise, all that kind of stuff too. But I kind of miss these days. Uh, not that I encourage violence by any means, but you know, Noel Monk himself and uh, he, you know, his crew, his uh, whatever, you know, they would literally beat up the bootleggers out in front of the venues that were selling these yeah. these contraband T-shirts. So it's it's right. really changed. It's it's totally changed. But he, now that leads me into my question for just an opinion, fanboy yourself mm-hmm. or veteran touring musician. Van Halen released. Uh, well, I shouldn't say release. This year was their anniversary, the 40th anniversary of one of the most iconic debut albums ever, and it was mm-hmm. pretty quiet. You know, I'm I'm not saying anything negative towards the band. I love the band. It's uh, which which makes me get up every day and play guitar and all that kind of stuff. What's your opinion? Mm-hmm on whether we see them on tour again is it should they bow out gracefully um sammy dave forget about it doesn't matter which singer do you think we'll see them return to a stage again or is it is it uh is it time to call it a day i i I, well no i don't think it's time to call it a day i i really don't i think they're still pretty vital um what i would love to see and this is my bias again but um i would love to see the original band with michael back um, even if it's just one tour or even, I mean, actually more, more so touring than, I mean, a recording would be great too, but, but I mean, I just think, uh, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm down on Wolfgang cause I think, nope. I mean, he's obviously a really great player. We all love him. But for me, saw them live, the groove was different. It was still great, mm-hmm. but it was different. And I missed, you know, the way I described them earlier, which is that, Eddie is very controlled, but powerful energy. Mm-hmm. Alex is chaotic and crazy, um, but, you know, he's, he's controlled. But the, both of them are, they're, they're, they're out of their minds. Their playing is just, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. And it was Michael's, the way that Michael held it down, and it's like he didn't have to try. That was what was so beautiful about the way Michael could, um, could hold them down is, it, he just held them down in such a natural, organic way that it made the beauty of what Eddie and Alex did really shine. And I just, I missed that. That yeah. to me was a huge part of their magic. Um, and and so, and, and you know, I'm actually, as a singer, I prefer Sammy quite mm-hmm. a bit over cool. Dave. Yep. He is but a better I, singer overall. Totally, but but Dave's entertaining value i mean he he is just a genius from man mm-hmm. you know so i'll take either singer um although you know what i think would be perfect is if they did one more tour where the you know it was with michael maybe the first half of the night is with dave and second half of 
Sammy or sure. reverse or whatever. But I would love to see one more tour. I'd love to see a, one more tour with those five guys. That yeah. to me would be, and again, not against Wolfgang. He's great. But I would, for, for my fan aspect, I would love to see that. And no, I don't think it's time for them to call it a day at all. Um, and I, I think there's, I think they're too vital and it gets into the same thing. I think if, if there was a market for music and there was the, 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 the incentives, and I don't mean just monetary, no, no, of course. but if there was more incentive to come up with new music, Eddie's a creative guy. Sure. They're all creative guys. And get them in a room and have them play together for a month, and they're going to come up with a killer record. Mm -hmm. So, I would love to see. I would love to see one more from from the original lineup. And and again, for me, it's very important that Michael be there. I, I agree that's with just that. me. I like that, and the fact that having both singers and this has been talked about a lot, like a dual tour. Number one, there's a lot of fans, the younger generation, that don't really know David Lee Roth. They come in on the the fifty one fifty, especially Balance here. Balance tends to bring a lot of people in. A lot of people like that. I'd like to see it, and I, I do speak highly, all of us on the show speak highly of uh, Wolfgang. I, I mean, I don't think we would have had a different kind of truth, and we would, wouldn't even have Van Halen even playing if it wasn't for Wolfgang. So he needs, he's the quarterback yeah, of that that's band. that's true, too. He's a quarterback right now of that band, yeah. uh, and the manager yeah. and everything else, you know. Uh, I, I don't mean in yeah. a real sense manager, but you know what I mean. He's making that thing yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it could yeah, be no, really no, good. Yeah, no, no, listen, he... I and I, I totally agree with that, and I understand all that, and I think that's great. That's why I say it's not to belittle, belittle no, him, no. but there's, there is such thing as chemistry, and, and uh, the magic that those guys had um, was pretty special. I mean, what they have now is really cool as well. Mm -hmm. It's just something different. It different is a good I, word. I would love to see that original magic at least one more time. You know, and the cool thing about Mike, as much as you know, we won't go into the what you know uh, what happened, and we don't know. We're not in Van Halen, but you know, Mike was out of the band for quite some time, and blah blah blah. Mike is a forgiving guy, and I think you know he would do anything for the fans. He loves his fans like you do, and if the opportunity arose, I think it'd be really cool. So let, fingers crossed, we see something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But listen, yeah. we are, we are at ten thirty three Eastern Standard Time. I wow. want to thank you graciously wow. for your time. I told you it was going to go by pretty quick. Oh. It sure did, man. Really nice interview. Great questions and great having the fans interact. And it was really fun. This is you've got a great thing going here. Thank you for asking me. I was it was I was really uh, honored and touched to be part of it. It was great. I appreciate that. Before I let you go, I want to ask you. So you've got um, obviously four hundred dates coming up. Rock and roll fantasy camp next week, right? Is that correct? No, I did. I I did uh, rock and roll fantasy camp. I did uh, the foreigner guys. We a couple of us went okay. there. Uh, that was in February. We went there, and we um, and then I produced the campers' recording session, which was really fun. Um, but no, that was in February. Okay, so right, no okay. more fans. Me. So you a little bit of free time. So yeah. what's what's 2018 got for you uh, on the radar so far that you can share with us? Okay, well, um, we uh, I leave Thursday for a couple weeks of uh, just shows in the states around various areas. I think Texas and mm -hmm. Biloxi and places like that. And then May second, we leave for Israel. Wow. And we're going to play Israel and Romania and Bulgaria and some some Eastern Europe European places. And then we go play um, the UK. We're doing Royal Albert Hall, which I'm very excited to do. Nice. Uh, and we're what is it? Three or four cities in the UK and Glasgow. Um, so we're uh, we're doing a European thing. Then we culminate that with uh, two more shows in Lucerne, Switzerland, where we're going to play with the orchestra, like what we did last year, which is the new record that we're just coming out with, which is called Foreigner with the 21st Century Orchestra, and that was recorded in Lucerne, Switzerland last May. 
Um, and we're going to do two more shows with the orchestra this year, which is really exciting because I love doing these orchestral shows. It's just it's a whole new thing and it's yeah. great and I love it and it's 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 challenging but it's really exciting so we're doing two more shows there then we come back uh from europe and then we do the summer tour with it which is with white snake and jason bonham's led zeppelin evening which is going to be a phenomenal night of music (laughs) phenomenal um really really excited about that always wanted to tour with white snake i love that band and the guys are friends and it's going to be great and jason bonham is incredible and if you haven't seen his led zeppelin group it's it's amazing they are so great at doing zeppelin it's it's I can't even put it into words. It's wonderful. Going to be a great night. Great summer tour. Uh, and then in, in uh, October, we head back to Australia and New Zealand where we're going to do uh, a tour there with an orchestra. We're going to do the Sydney Opera House with an orchestra, which I think is really, really exciting. So very excited for all that. Like I say, we, um, Foreigner has a record coming out this month. Dokken has a record coming out this month. Later in the year, Foreigner's going to have a record, which is going to be uh, which is going to have some songs on it that have the original lineup of Foreigner on it. So that's a live record that's going to be really great. Wow. Um, and DVD. So lots of great stuff coming. 2019 got Super Stroke and then the second last in line record coming out. So lots of great stuff coming. Dude, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. And you know what? Busy is always Thank good. You. When you hit that idle time, as, yeah. as much as you want to have a break sometimes, breaks are not necessarily always yeah. good. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know what that even means anymore. So yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Down below in the description yeah. of my video, I have links to both your website, which has a lot of everything that you're doing. I also have your official Great. Facebook page uh, there as well. And thank you so much Great. for sharing all this stuff on your platforms thank as well. Thank you. Thank uh, you, man. It's I'm I'm really appreciating that. No problem. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air, everyone. I hope we're uh, able to warm up your weekend. That's my goal here is to warm up the weekend. It's been nice to have Jeff uh, here to help me do that. I'm back again on Sunday for my other show, yes. The Helix Hour with the Line Six staff. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Everyone have a fantastic weekend. It's looking like we're heading into spring here in our parts of the world. We're going to have some fun. Jeff, I'll say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, we will see you real soon. Until next time. Cheers. Hey, EVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.